What we are going to do here in United is just spend one week on For the Beaches. For the Beaches is a, a series that we just finished today um, in Big Church, and uh, we spent the last five weeks in this series called For the Beaches, talking about what it means to be for other people, what it means uh, to be for our community. And because we are a part of Beach Church, we're not just our own little world that we do what we want when we want it. We're a part of a larger community here at Beach. Um, we wanted to make sure that uh, this, uh, this idea and this this kind of vision for our church um, was, was given over to our students as well because we are a part of this. And it's not just the adults and it's not just the kids. It is the entire church uh, working together. What does it mean to be for someone? What does it mean to be for something? Um, if, you, if you are a sports fan, uh, you get this idea very, uh, very well. Um, if you are for the Jags, I understand they're playing right now, and I think they're down by a touchdown. If you are for the Jags, then you, um, then you want what's best for the Jags. You want them to win. You don't want injuries. Uh, you want uh, them to be successful. You are, you are cheering for them. Um, to be for something means you want, uh, you really want it to succeed. If you're for a friend, you want them to do well, even, uh, even if they're doing better than you, even if they uh, get something that maybe you don't, you're for them. And so you are going to kind of be cheering them on. You're going to be in their corner. Um, and so that's what it means to be for someone or something. And tonight we're just going to speak about what this, uh, what this church has to do with being for the beaches. First of all, we're going to look at Romans Chapter 8, verse 31. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. Because we want to we establish the why of, uh, of, of why we are called to be for people. This is Paul writing, and he says this, What then shall we say in response to these things? These things that he's talking about is uh, he spent like the last few chapters of this letter that he's writing um, talking uh, about all the things God gives us, all the things about living a life following the Spirit, about Jesus dying for us, about all the things that are for us in Christ Jesus. So he says, so what shall we say in response to all these things I just got done talking about, essentially? And then he answers his own question. He says this. He answers really with another question. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? What he's saying is there's a lot of trash in the world. There's a lot of bad things in the world. There's a lot of suffering in the world. There's a lot of uh, disappointment in the world. There's a lot of pain in the world. There's a lot of things that, that really kind of grind against us and our souls and our, and, and our lives. But if God is for us, if the creator God, the God that, that created the stars in just like a snap that said, let there be light, that, that created animals, millions and millions and millions of different kinds of animals, created the oceans, created outer space, created all that. If that God is for us, then who can really be against us? Yeah, like things are going to go wrong, but if God, if that God is for us, who can be against us? And this leads us to the why of why we should be for others. If God is for us, then we need to be for others. If God is for us, then we need to be for others. Because if God is for you, that means he's for the person next to you. That means he's for the person that walks by you in the hallway. That means he's for the person on the other side of our nation. That means he's for some random person in Japan and in Uganda and in Finland, like everywhere. All these people, God is for. And if God is for those people, who are we to say, well, uh, I'm not really for them. No, if, if he's for them, then our job as Christ followers is to be for others. Because the Bible says not that God came to save you. It says that God sent his son for the world, for all people. So if God is for us, then we need 
to be for others. We're going to look um, at a scripture in Luke, Luke chapter 7, Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. And uh, what's going on here is um, Jesus is going to have an encounter with this, this woman. And um, here's the important thing to know about Jesus. We believe Jesus is the Son of God. We believe Jesus is God on earth. We believe Jesus lived 2,000 years ago in Israel, in a real place, walked the earth, had encounters with people. And we also believe a very important thing about Jesus, that what Jesus does reflects who God is. What Jesus does reflects who God is. So if Jesus says something, that's God saying it. If Jesus does something, that's God doing it. And so the way Jesus acts is so, so important for what it means about God. So Luke chapter 7, and, and, and something, um, something that uh, Pastor Sean said uh, this past year in Albany um, that, that's such, a, such an important point is when we read the Bible, a lot of times it, it's very... Um, it's very concise, like it, it doesn't have every single detail a lot of times. And so it's easy for us to read it and just be like, oh, okay, that, that's nice. Like, like it, it, we read about a miracle and we're like, oh, he raised someone from the dead. Okay, he walked on water. And it was just one sentence, so it's not that big of a deal. But I think what's very important for us whenever we read scripture, whether you're reading scripture on your own and you're in your bedroom in the morning before school or in your car uh, before school or at night, whether you're here in United, whether you're at life groups, is when you read an encounter with Jesus and someone else, to put yourself in the room. Put yourself in the story. Pretend that you're just like a bystander, a fly on the wall, and you are watching what's going on. Because I think, I, th- I think when we do that, we get a better understanding of really what, what is happening in Scripture. It becomes real to us. And so we're going to do that tonight. And there are going to be some times where, where I say some things that seem a little bit blunt or crude, but that's just because we are getting into the story. Like, that's, it's just the truth. It's what the Bible is saying. And I want to make sure we understand what it means that God is for us as we look at how Jesus is for this woman. It says this, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. So the Pharisees were the teachers of the law. They were the priests. They had a lot of money. They had a lot of power. They had a lot of influence. Um, They were like the people that told everybody else what to do. And they really kind of butted heads with Jesus a lot of the time. And so um, they they would kind of test him and and all that kind of stuff. They didn't really like him. They were eventually the ones that would uh, make the push to put him to death. Um, But what we see here is that one of the Pharisees invites Jesus to dinner. Now, um, an invitation to dinner is, is a big deal. It's, it's different than like, hey, I'll meet you at Angie's. Hey, I'll meet you uh, uh, for pizza at Al's or something like that. It's not, it, that, that's kind of casual. When you invite someone into your home and you cook them a dinner and you prepare your house for them, that's a pretty intimate thing. Uh, but furthermore, at this time, it was, it was an even more intimate, more substantial thing to invite someone over for a dinner. And no doubt, this was not just Jesus and this Pharisee. This was a lot of people, a lot of powerful people, a lot of other Pharisees. This was kind of like a who's who. This was like a celebrity uh, dinner. And these are kind of all like the, the big dogs in Israel at the time. And they're all going to get together and have this dinner. And you notice it says, he reclined at the table. Now, they did not sit uh, generally, unless you were very, very wealthy or at some official king's court um, and you were like the ruler of everything. They did not sit at tables and chairs. Um, they had tables, uh, but, but very, very similar to what we see in a lot of cultures still today. They had these tables that might have been uh, kind, of, kind of low to the ground. And so they would not sit at chairs. They would, they would lie on these cushions. Um, 
And, and, and so literally, I'm, I'm going to show you kind of how they would, they would lie. So they would, they would kind of have the table right here, and then they'd, have, they'd lean on their arm. They'd have their head up like this, and they'd kind of put their feet away from the table. And then the next person, the next person, the next person, and going all the way around this kind of like three-sided table. And, and for lack of a better word, they would kind of like long-distance spoon the person in front of them. So they'd kind of be laying here, and the next person's here, and the next person's here. They're all kind of facing the same way. And if you wanted to, like, whisper to the person next to you, you'd kind of lay your head back towards their chest. Like, that was, it's kind of like an intimate thing. It's not just like, hey, let's just go sit at our table. It's like, we're kind of like, you know, it's, you know. So, um, so they were reclining at the table. So they're all laying here in this home, rich people. So we, we got the scene, right? Uh, no doubt there's, there's nice food laid out. There's wine. There's servants. Uh, uh, serving the food. So that's the scene that we're in. And a woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there. Let's stop there. A woman who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. Maybe she had heard about Jesus. Maybe she knew uh, hey, he's healed some people. He, he speaks out and he reaches out to everybody. He loves everybody. Um, we're, we're not really sure how she found out about him. But she decides, I'm just going to show up. But let's backtrack a little bit more. When it says that the woman had lived a sinful life, this is the nice, uh, wholesome way of saying this woman was a prostitute. Now, this is where it gets, it gets a little, little sketchy. Uh, this woman, um, for lack of a better term, was a hooker. She sold herself, her body, to make money. She had sexual encounters with other men so that she could make money. This was her career. That's what she did. And, and if you don't think that's the most desirable career right now, at that point, it was even less desirable. It was even more looked down upon for someone uh, to be of that um, that career, uh, that career path. So uh, she walks in, and all these men at once know she has lived a sinful life. This woman is a prostitute. This woman is a whore. Like, she is, she is a woman that should not be here. And, and we also know, because um, it just says she heard about Jesus and just showed up, we know what? We know that she wasn't invited. That's right. That's right. You get invited to dinners. You get invited to parties. Maybe you have a friend. I think we all have a friend or a family member that just kind of shows up when they're not invited, right? So she comes in and she is not invited. Furthermore, she is a woman. A woman would not approach a man in public unless it was her, even if it was her husband, she would approach him in private in the home. But like if it was just some random man, especially a rabbi, especially for a prostitute, they would not interact, especially she would not walk up to them. And so she is breaking all kinds of like cultural laws and she's breaking all kinds of like uh, of the way of living life. So she walks into this house. She's not invited. She's a prostitute. These are all the pastors and the preachers of the town and they all look at her and know she's a prostitute and that, that's what's going on. So let's, let's continue to see what happens. <clears throat> so she came there. She came to the house uninvited, not supposed to be there. A woman at a man's party, a hooker with a bunch of preachers. She came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood there, or as she stood behind him. So she comes up and she stands behind Jesus. So not only is she in the room, not only is she uninvited, not only is she a prostitute, but now she's just standing there. You ever had like a conversation with a friend and then a parent or a teacher walks up, or even just another another person, and they walk up? What do you do? You stop 
You stop talking, right? It doesn't matter if you're like talking about something private or not. You you can be talking about anything. But generally, when someone comes up and they just stand there, you stop talking. You kind of look at them. It's kind of like, eh, what's going on? Me me and my best friend, we used to have this thing um, in high school. Actually, we still do it. We're stupid. Um, Like if somebody comes up and we're talking about, like we were talking about girls or we were talking about something we didn't want anybody to know about, we would would just start talking. Like, we knew, right, if someone walked in or walked up, we would just start talking about the Super Bowl. Hey, did you hear about the Super Bowl? And we would just, like, start having this fake conversation, and we did it every single time. I don't know if people ever caught on, but, like, we would have this fake conversation because we didn't want to have our real conversation in front of someone else. So she just walks up. Imagine they're all talking. Someone's sharing some story about some person that he led in the temple that day, and they're eating their grapes and kind of spooning and all that kind of stuff, and she's just standing there. And then all of a sudden, it gets quiet, and everybody kind of looks up, and the guy's, like, talking. He's like, why isn't anybody paying attention? He looks up, and she's just standing standing there watching. And remember, these men are laying down and she's standing above them. That's kind of intimidating. That's kind of weird. So she's just standing there looking down at all these men, spooning around the table, talking and eating their grapes and drinking their wine. And she's just standing there. This is very, very awkward. And we don't like awkwardness, do we? It's not like this just became a thing. Like no one has ever liked feeling awkward or feeling like you're not sure what to say or sure what to do. And it gets worse. As she stood behind him at his feet, she was weeping, weeping. I don't know if you've ever had this experience. You ever had someone just start crying? You ever made someone cry? Like you've ever, you ever, you ever just been talking to someone and maybe they're, they're sharing something and then they're just like, they just start sobbing and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. Should I pat them on the shoulder? Should I get up and walk away? Should I kind of give them some space? Should I hug them? Should I pray for them? Like, what do I do? This is awkward. Like she's, so this woman is like weeping. She's not just like, oh, one strong tear down my cheek. She's like sobbing. And you can imagine, again, you can imagine what these Pharisees thought. Oh gosh. Oh my gosh. Here comes the prostitute, and she's got some sob story. She's got some sob story about what, what happened to her when she was a child and what, what she's done. And, oh, my gosh, she's going to want us to, like, listen to her story and feel sorry for her. Typical. We see it all the time. Like, that is the way that these guys are probably thinking and looking at her. And so she's standing there. She's sobbing. She's got snot running down her face. Like, when I was in middle school and I would get in trouble, like, I was real, like, I didn't, I didn't want to get in trouble. I was a troublemaker, but I didn't want to get in trouble. One time I got a, uh, one time I got a referral. I, I, I went to, for two and a half years to this private school in middle school, and I got a referral for being late too many times. And I was like, I never had a referral in my life. And they sent me to the, the headmaster. It's like, I, I was late. Like, that's the stupidest thing ever. So they sent me to the headmaster, and I get in there, and he walks in. I think his name was Mr. Mercer, and he sits down at the cr- across from me at his desk, and I just start sobbing. Like, I can't control myself. And I, I know, guys, I know you're going to act like you've never done this. Girls, I know you've done it, because I see you at all. Albany, I see in Jamaica, but you do that little cry where you can't breathe and you start doing the Michael Jackson hiccups, you're like, <laughs> and you can't like, you're like hyperventilating and you're like losing your mind. And you're like, <laughs> that's what I'm doing. I'm like sobbing. So this is what this lady's doing. She's sobbing in front of these guys and they're like, oh my gosh, like this lady's not going to go away, is she? So why, why is she crying? What is going on? It's awkward and it gets weirder. And then she began to wet his feet with her tears. So now she kneels down behind Jesus and she starts taking the the, the tears off her face and wiping them on his dirty feet. That's that's weird. And and furthermore, um, her coming into this this, this dinner was one thing. Her being a prostitute and and a woman among men was another thing. Her just standing there and being awkward was another thing. But now she's touching a rabbi. Like this is wrong. Like at this point, they would have like recoiled and been like, oh my gosh, like, 
like they're like puking and they're like they're like dry heaving. They're like this is disgusting. This woman should not be touching this teacher. But she starts wiping her tears and wiping them on his feet. And then it gets worse. She began to wipe his feet with her hair. Culturally, it was um, it was looked down upon for a woman to let her hair down in public. And it was looked at as something that a prostitute would do. So as she starts to let her hair down, she is like taking her hair off, kind of off her shoulder, and she's wiping his feet. And it's just continuing to get worse. And then like two of the worst things happen. She begins to kiss his feet. Now, I, I, I'm, I'm seriously not trying to be funny, but I just want you to imagine what these holy men, these judgmental men thought when the prostitute started kissing the feet of this rabbi. You can imagine their thoughts. Man, where has her mouth been? Where, where, what has she done with those lips in the past 24 hours? We know what she does. We know what she does every night and every day. We know how she makes money. This is disgusting. I can't believe she is kissing his feet. And then she poured perfume on them. Now, we, we, we don't think much of perfume, but this was basically what, what you might call a tool of the trade. Her perfume was something that she used to lure men in. It was strong. It had a lot of fragrance to it. And, and as men were walking down the street, they'd be able to smell this perfume and be attracted. It was like her billboard that, I'm a prostitute, come hire me. Like that, that, that was what she used this perfume for. And again, if you've been on our Albany mission trip or any mission trip with middle school boys, you know the feeling when someone just starts spraying perfume or body wash or body, body axe or whatever all over the place. It stinks. It reeks. And so as she pours out this perfume, it begins to make the whole room smell. And these men are like thinking, oh my gosh, that's what she uses to lure men in. That's what she uses to cover the stench of her poor, pathetic body. Like that, that, and now I'm going to smell, I'm going to go, you could imagine these guys are like, I would never have come to this party. I would never come to this dinner if I knew I was going to smell like a prostitute when I went home. Like I'm going to have to go cleanse myself. I'm going to have to get bathed. Like this is disgusting. This is the circumstance we're in. A lot more than just two verses. Like this is the room that Jesus is sitting on. This is in, this is what is going on in these verses. And the Pharisee, we see, we see what it looks like to judge. We see what it looks like um, to, to, to be in the Pharisee's chair and, and to not be for someone. We're going to see it here. We're not just assuming. We're going to see his thoughts. It says, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner, that she is a prostitute. If he was really holy, he would know and he would be like recoiling. He would be like in the fetal position trying to get away from this woman. But we all know you, you probably shouldn't think things in front of Jesus because he's going to know what, you, what you're thinking. And so we see the next verse. It says, Jesus answered him. Again, he didn't say anything. He just thought it. So he's judgmental thoughts. He's judging this woman. He can't believe that she's touching Jesus, that she's doing all these things. He's probably like just like mortified. Like, I can't believe this. I invited all these. These guys are never going to come to my house again. I, I don't know what to do. All the other guys are probably looking at him like, dude, get her out of here. Like, are you going to do something about this? This is awkward. Well, let us go about our dinner. Let us, let us have our holy time together. And so he judges her and Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. 
Tell me, teacher, he said. And then he tells this short story. He says, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii. A denarii was like a day's wage. So we'll call it like 100 bucks. Uh, One uh, owed him 500 denarii, about $50,000. The other owed him 50, about $5,000. Both significant sums of money. Both um, something that you would be required to pay back. But obviously the one is 10 times more than the other. it's, It's a far more substantial amount. But neither of them, as Jesus tells it, had the money to pay him back. And so he forgave the debts of both. So one owes him $50,000, one owes him $5,000. And he says, you know what? You can't pay it. I forgive you both. And Jesus asks a very powerful question. He says this, now which of them will love him more? Now Simon's a little confused. Maybe he doesn't like the implications of this story. Maybe he doesn't like where Jesus is going with this. And he says, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned toward the woman. Imagine this. He he turns towards the woman and he just looks at her. Again, like these men would have not even made eye contact with her. They would have averted their eyes from her. It was like she wasn't even there. And Jesus turns and he looks into her eyes. And then he begins to talk to Simon. But it's almost like he wants to to let the woman know, "I'm, I'm for you. I'm about to defend you. So as he's talking to Simon, who's over here, he's looking at the woman at his feet. And he asked Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. Here's what he does. He shows this woman that he is for her. You ever had someone like defend you? There's, there's almost like nothing as powerful as when someone is talking down to you. You have people that are making fun of you or attacking you for some reason. And you have a friend or a family member stand up for you in front of them and put their reputation on the line for you. Maybe it's happened to you before, but there's nothing more just invigorating than someone saying, hey, no, 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 you don't say that about my friend. You don't say that about my family member. You don't say that about them. This is the truth. And then they defend you. This is what Jesus is doing. He is defending this woman. He's supporting her. He's uplifting her. He's acknowledging her. She has no basis for deserving that defense from Jesus. And yet, he does it anyway. And he does it for someone who is so different than him. Verse 47, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. What he's saying is, her sins have been forgiven. And we know that because of all this great love she is showing me. And he closes with this line. He says, But whoever has been forgiven little loves Little. This is the key for us being for people. Whoever has been forgiven little loves little. What he's saying is not um, you guys need less forgiveness than her. Jesus knows we all need forgiveness. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We're all wretched before God, before a holy God. We can't earn anything. So that's not the point he's making. What he's saying is if you think you don't need forgiveness, then it's going to be very hard 
for you to love. If you think you've got it all together, then it's going to be very difficult for you to show mercy to someone else or to forgive someone else or or to be for someone else. Here's, Here's the point he's making. When we remember how much God is for us, when we remember how much God is for us, it allows us to be for others. When we remember how much God is for us, it allows us to be for others. Because here's what we like to do. We're not much different than the Pharisees. Because these Pharisees thought, we, we don't need that much forgiveness. We kind of have it all together. We love to favorably compare ourselves to other people, don't we? We see someone else, we're like, but I'm not as bad as them. I've had so many times where, where I talk to a student about something, they're like, yeah, yeah, but they did something worse. And I'm like, I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about you. It has nothing to do with them. And what do we always do? We don't compare ourselves to Pastor Jerry. We don't compare ourselves to Mother Teresa. We compare ourselves to the drug dealer. We compare ourselves to the criminal. We compare ourselves to the worst person in our grade. We compare ourselves to our friend who does the most bad things. We always compare ourselves favorably. And that's what these men were doing. They were saying, well, I mean, this woman, she really needs forgiveness. But us, eh, you know, we're okay. And that's a lot of times what we do, especially if you've been a Christian for a long time. You begin to think, yeah, I'm, I've gotten better. I, I don't need, I, back then I needed Jesus. But these days, you know, I've kind of stopped doing that. I started doing that. I serve more. I read the Bible more. And I, don't, I don't really need Jesus as much as I used to. <clears throat> but what Jesus would say to that is, okay, if you think you don't need much forgiveness, it's going to be very difficult to love others. If you've been forgiven little, if God hasn't done that much for you, then eh, you're probably not going to be able to love other people. What we've got to realize is God has to forgive us continually. For the Christians in this room, you may have been a Christian for years. You may, you may, you may not do drugs or have sex or cuss or do all those kind of things. You get straight A's. You listen to your parents, but you are a sinner and you need God just as much as you did 10 years ago. And you need God just as much as the prostitute. And you need God just as much as the murderer. And you need God just as much as the terrorist. And you need God just as much as anybody else. We have to remember the amount of forgiveness we need. And not in like a bad way, not to be like, oh, I'm so bad, but just to remember like, oh my gosh, like think about how much God's done for me. Think about how much he's forgiven me. Think about how much I messed up. Like we are the only people in all creation. There's a a quote in in a book called Radical that I love. We're the only uh, creatures in all of creation that don't do what God calls us to do. The wind does what God calls it to do. The mountains stand there. The snow falls, the rain falls, the stars shoot, the sun beams, the moon uh, does whatever the moon does, reflects, and, and, and these, all these creations do what they're supposed to. The animals live the way they're supposed to. The oceans go with the tides like they're supposed to. And humanity, human beings are the only ones that look to God and we say, nah, I'll do it my own way. I'll live life my own way. Thanks for creating me. Thanks for the forgiveness, God, but I'm just going to go do my own thing. See, we think we've got it all together, especially when we're Christians, but we don't. And we need Jesus just as much today as we did yesterday and just as much as we did at the very beginning. And when we remember how much we need God and how much he has for us, it allows us to be for others. Here's where it all comes together. Beach Student Ministries is for the beaches. Beach Student Ministries is for the beaches. Here's what that means. We are going to be for our community, the restaurants, 
the police officers, the firefighters, the people that just walk by us on the beach, the people selling, uh, selling food or selling drinks or, or whatever. We are going to be for our community. We're going to be for the people who are not like us. We are called to be for the people who are not like us. Jesus wasn't being for someone that was like, oh, like uh, the perfect person coming in. He was for the prostitute. The prostitute was nothing like Jesus. And yet he was for her. We are going to be for people, and we are called to be for people who are not like us, who are different than us, that do things we don't approve of. We are called to be for people who we don't like. Now remember, this woman wasn't just a sinner. This woman had sinned against God. Who is God? Jesus. This woman hadn't just done her own random thing. She actually had caused an offense to Jesus himself, and yet he was for her. See, we're called to be for people who we don't like. The person you don't like at school, the teacher you don't like at school, uh, anybody. We're called to be for them. We're called to be for our schools. We're called to be for our teachers. Imagine that. We're called to be for our classmates. We're called to be for our administration and our custodians. Sometimes there are people in our world that like, they're kind of neutral. We just don't even notice them. The random person you walk by, the, the ninth grader, the, the sixth grader, the custodian, the, the person that's, that's uh, selling, uh, working on a vending machine or selling drinks at a bar or whatever. Like we, we think, oh, they're just some random person. No, they're not just some random person. They're a person that God is for. And therefore we are called as followers of Jesus to be for them. No one's random. Nobody doesn't matter. Everybody is significant. Everybody is a child of God. That's what it means to be for the beaches. We're called to be for our family. Sometimes the hardest thing, and I know it, I've been there. Sometimes the hardest thing is to be for your family. And you can be for your friends. You can be for some random coach, but it's hard to be for your mom. It's hard to be for your dad. It's hard to be for your siblings because they live with you. They're annoying. You have these interactions every day and they're not good all the time. And you just, oh my gosh, like you don't want There are times where it's like, I don't want anything good for them. Like, I I want to see them fail. That is not being for someone. And we're called to be for our families. And not just outside of this room, but in this room. We want to be a place. United is a place where students will come in and be loved and encouraged and not judged. So what if they come in and you know what they did the night before? So what if you know their reputation? So what if you know what they do when they're not at school? So what if you have a history with them? When they walk through these doors, we are called to be for them. They haven't been to United in a long time. You don't go up to them and be like, man, where you been? Why are you here? No, you welcome them. Man, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you came. Hey, come sit by me. And I want this to be, and this isn't just something for life group leaders or for our student leaders. This is for all of us. If you call United home, you are called to be for the people that come in this room. Someone invited them and they come in for the first time and they're nervous and they don't know what to do and and maybe they're worried about what people think of them and how they look and all that kind of stuff. And you have the opportunity to love them, encourage them and not judge them. Man, I don't ever wanna see someone come in and say, they said this or they whispered this or they looked at me like this. We wanna be a place that is for every single person that comes in this room. And this is why, for the beaches, this whole vision of for the beaches, this is why we do serve days. We're gonna do one in March. We're gonna do one this year. It's gonna be big. We're, we're gonna, it's gonna be different than past years. We're all gonna have matching t-shirts and we're gonna, we're gonna have a big cookout afterwards and it's gonna be an amazing time. It's gonna be the first, one of the first weekends in March um, and it's going to be an incredible thing. We're just gonna go out in our community and show people we're for you, not just for poor people, but for everybody, we're for you. This is why we do mission trips 
why we go to other places and show them we're for you. This is why we do a mission trip in our own backyard. The, the video that we watched had, all the, had some of the highlights of, of this year's uh, Jack's mission trip. This is why we go and do a mission trip in our own city because we're for the beaches. This is why we do Portside Saturdays, the first Saturday of each month. And we only have a few students come out a lot of times, but, but we go out there and we just love students. We love kids. We love teenagers. And then we tell them how much God loves them for two or three hours on a Saturday morning once a month. Very small buy-in, but it's an opportunity for us to be for people. This is why we do Epworth. It's not just so you guys can come and be like, oh my gosh, we danced and we dressed up and we worship and we sing oceans. And it was, oh my gosh, it was so great. And Ryan just preached a great message and it was just, it was just so good for me. Yeah, yeah, it's for you. But it's for other people. This is the biggest outreach thing we do all year. We don't just do it so that all of our little holy Christians can have a great weekend. If we wanted you to do that, go to vacation with your family. But we want to draw close to God as we bring other people into the fold. And tonight we're going to have an opportunity um, uh, for you guys to start to reach out to people and say, who can I invite to Epworth? Who can I say, man, I'm for you and I'm for you so much. I want you to be at that weekend because I want to see what God will do in your heart that weekend. I want to read those last three verses and then we're going to close. Let's see how Jesus closes this little segment. He turns to, to the woman and he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests, they began to say among themselves that the muttering began, the judgment continued. And they say, who is this? Who's this guy who even forgives sins? And Jesus ignores them and he says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. There may be some of you in this room that don't know Jesus. I've been talking a lot to Jesus followers about how we're supposed to be for the beaches, but you don't know that God is for you. Or maybe this is the first time you've heard that God is for you, and you have the same opportunity that this woman had 2,000 years ago. Jesus is saying to you tonight, your faith can save you. You can go in peace. Your sins can be forgiven. And Romans we say this verse almost every week in Romans. It says, if you uh, believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The same thing that happened to her. Your faith has saved you. It will happen to you if you put your faith in Jesus. I want to give you the opportunity to do that tonight. We're going to bow our heads and close our eyes. And, and if you have never given your life over to Christ, if you've never known a God that's for you, if you've always known a God that was against you because people judged you or because you felt outside, like an outsider at church or because you felt like, man, God doesn't want anything to do with me. God is not for me. I'm messed up. If you've ever felt like that and you didn't know that God is actually for you, that God loves you no matter what you've done, that God is for you no matter what you did last night at homecoming, no matter what you did last weekend, no matter what you did in the quiet of your room, no matter what you said to that person, no matter what's going on in your life, if you didn't know that God is for you no matter all those things, and you want to put your faith in him to be forgiven and to be healed and to be in relationship with him and walk away from your sin in peace. If that's you, on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand and pray a prayer with me. And it's not just the words, it's believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth. If that's you, raise your hand on the count of three and pray this prayer with me. One, God loves you. Two, God is for you no matter what. Three, raise your hand. Raise your hand if that's you. Raise your hand. Pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I'm yours. I know I've messed up. 
I know I've made a mess of my life, but I want to put my faith in you. I want to turn my life around and follow you. I have faith that you are the Son of God, that you are who you said you are, that you died for my sins and you rose again to conquer death. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I pray this in your name.